Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. This is The Best Of with Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. I had mentioned this to you. I thought this was so interesting, the, the timing of it, and, and it brings up some, some broader, uh, broader issues and, and concerns, I think. Energy is one of the weak points of the Biden regime. There's no question about that. Uh, energy policy, fossil fuels, they have an ideological obsession with limiting and and pushing back as much as possible fossil fuel development in favor of renewables, even when they're more expensive, even when uh, it has massive geopolitical implications. I mean, look at how the Russian economy has collapsed. Oh, wait, no, it hasn't. But that was what was going to happen, right? When we started, oh, but we actually can't stop them from selling their oil. And that's not even, hasn't even been shut down by the sanctions. Venezuela, though, is a country that the left does not want to talk to you about very much. You know, I spent a lot of time uh, in Florida, and South Florida in particular, in Clay. The Venezuelan uh, refugee population in the United States is very, very considerable, very large, especially in South Florida. And uh, Venezuela has been, you've had about 6 million people in the last decade fleeing Venezuela. You have 6 million people who are just couldn't deal with it anymore. They've seen the every aspect of life in Venezuela, economically, socially, politically. Th- there's not enough food on the shelves. The economy is destroyed. Hyperinflation is happening. All this has been going on. And it's because you have the Maduro socialist regime of thugs who are very quick to talk about social justice and redistribution of wealth. They've destroyed what was the second wealthiest country in uh, in. In, Latin, in South America, yes, I believe it was the second wealthiest country. Um, and even per capita, when you add in the oil revenues, it was a place that was doing quite well up through the 90s. But then the socialists took over. This is interesting because you, the, you have the Biden administration right before Thanksgiving cutting back on the sanctions that we have on Venezuela. And we could do a, we could do a whole deep dive into you have the Venezuelan some of the top government officials are actually officially sanctioned as narco traffickers. 
To give you a sense of how things are going there, I think the vice president of Venezuela, he certainly was at one point a sanctioned narco trafficker uh, by the U.S. Treasury Department. These are people that are making millions, perhaps even billions over the long haul, um, selling cocaine, heroin into the U.S., poisoning our cities and our people. The Biden administration decided that they were going to take more oil from Venezuela. And what's fascinating, they did this right before Thanksgiving, so nobody would pay attention. There's also a country right next to uh, Venezuela, Guyana. Um, My sister's husband's family is from Guyana. And Guyana just had the discovery of a considerable, I think it's 11 billion barrels, they estimate, uh, offshore. So this is a huge boon, a huge um, economic game changer for the country of Guyana, which is a U.S. ally aligned with our uh, aligned with us ideologically capitalist in its approach. And at the same time, the Biden administration saying more oil from Venezuela. That sounds good. They vetoed a loan that the U.S. government, the U.S. government was in a position through a public private uh, one of these public private vehicles uh, to make so that Guyana can't develop its offshore reserves. So we'd rather buy oil right now from the evil commies running Venezuela than help an ally in Guyana develop considerable resources, natural uh, uh, fossil fuel resources over the next 10 years. Because, Clay, why? The Green New Deal. And also the Biden regime likes commies. Let's be honest. They totally slid this under the radar. Look. They begged Saudi Arabia to increase oil production, and Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman in particular, basically gave him the back of the hand. Remember, Biden traveled all the way to Saudi Arabia. They didn't want to shake hands, so instead he did a fist bump. And they also kind of slid late at night. The story, by the way, after saying, oh, they're a uh, pariah state, we're not going to treat Saudi Arabia well in the wake of the Jamal Khashoggi uh, murder, they then said, oh, yeah, Mohammed bin Salman, he has diplomatic immunity, which feels to me like, Buck, even more of an attempt to try to get oil out of Saudi Arabia. And so given what's going on with Russia, they have made the calculated decision. We are not going to increase production in the United States because we don't want to upset all these crazy environmentalist Green New Deal uh, people. But instead, we're going to allow Venezuela to increase its production and we're going to give more money to them instead of putting more money into our own country's coffers. So this is just infuriating because it presumes, first of all, that somehow the economy, uh, sorry, the the, 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 the overall uh, environment is better off because we're getting oil from those places as opposed to the United States, when in reality, Buck, it's actually worse for the environment because they don't have the same safeguards for oil and gas pumping that we do here. And most in the media just totally don't pay attention to it. And as you mentioned, they drop the news right in going into a holiday weekend, know that most people are not going to focus on it, and it just completely vanishes. It's, to me, emblematic of how broken American energy policy is under the Biden administration. But I think it's significant. I think it needs to be talked about. And you don't have to it, go, it is just so transparently wrong. You don't have to go that far back to read editorials in places like the New York Times that were really optimistic and very defensive even of Chavez. And now now obviously it's the Maduro regime took over for Chavez 
um, because this was this had all the makings of the usual social justice narrative. Oh, there's the the rich elites, and they have access to the oil wealth. And if only we had a government that was more consider uh, more considerate about sharing the wealth and spreading it around, they'll, they'll lift everybody out of poverty. And what they did is they they then seized, they nationalized a lot of assets. They seized the factories. They seized, obviously, the oil assets first, a socialist regime. They effectively destroyed uh, private property and also started instituting price controls. And the price controls mechanism is what really drives things into the dumpster because they say, oh, well, we can't get washing machines made or you can't find any washing machines in the store. You can't find name any consumer good. We're just going to set the price lower. Well, that creates a death spiral in the markets that that creates massive shortages. It is an economic case study in why you don't actually have people who are so concerned with ending poverty and social justice making determinations about capital flows, making determinations about supply and demand, because they've ruined this country. And I mean, I I speak to, I I actually have some friends who are Venezuelan in the Miami area, and you talk to them and and they say, why doesn't our... Why doesn't our crisis ever? I mean, obviously, the Cubans in the Miami area have been living this situation for many decades now. But six million people had to flee Venezuela, many of them just with the clothing on their backs because of what has been done in that country and because of idiotic policy decisions, both internally and externally. I just feel like there's a much bigger story here, but we'd rather get the oil from the evil Maduro regime than help Guyana with its 11 billion. The only country in the world, Clay, per capita that they think has more oil than Guyana is Kuwait, just to give everyone a sense of it. That's what a massive find it is, but it'll take some time, and that'll be a big new source of nearby secure energy for the global market, for the U.S. market. They don't want it. They'd rather make the evil dictators in Venezuela rich than actually have a capitalist ally with a longer term horizon of fossil fuel production because they're crazy. I don't know what else to because they think the earth is going to melt and, you know, we're going to be undersea and the polar bears. are. Remember when the polar bears were all going to drown with Al Gore? You know, that now when you talk to people, we have people living in Anchorage uh, listening to us right now. Polar bears are everywhere. They're like squirrels. The. uh the other aspect of this buck that is so important, and you're talking about it from South Florida, Venezuelans are overwhelmingly Republican voters now. I love it. Because they, more than anybody else, you have all these Americans uh, who are on the left in this country saying, no, you just don't really understand what socialism is. And the Venezuelans say, actually, that's why we're here. We've seen what happens when a country goes to socialism. Because to your point, Venezuela was a very wealthy country. They were doing fantastically well uh, in the Latin American uh, overall like, economic rankings. And now they the, the other thing about the inflation buck is it's been so bad that as soon as you get any money, you feel like you need to run out and spend it because the next day the value is going to be so diminished, you kind of get into that inflation death spiral where you feel compelled to get as much value for your money as you can, which means you have to spend it immediately because whatever you're going to try to buy is going to cost more the next day or the day after. So the last thing you want to be doing is sitting around with that money as it continues to depreciate based on collapsing inflation. And what is among Venezuela's closest allies? Iran. How is the Iranian regime able to pay its security services and military? 
the oil revenue. How is Venezuela's Maduro regime of, of, of thugs and imbeciles? How are they able to pay their bills and continue to steal from the people and oppress the, you know, Venezuela, man, was like, you talk to people. I haven't been, obviously, because it's been a mess for the last 15 years or so. Um, but it was a beautiful place with tremendous natural resources and, and great people. And it has been ruined by socialist idiocy. And if you were to ask most kids these days who think they're really politically active and savvy, college, high school, you name it, they have no idea what is going on in that country because ultimately there's a sensitivity about it. The Biden administration, there are two things that collide in the Venezuela story that mean that the the regime, our regime, doesn't want us to know the truth. The fossil fuel climate change narrative but then also the socialism and social justice component. So it never really get it never really gets attention. Cuba has been ruined by these things. Venezuela has been ruined by these things. And the Iranian regime, the Venezuelan regime, the Russians, the best thing we can do to deal with those opposition governments, perhaps even enemy governments, is to drill, baby, drill. Get as much domestic U.S. energy production as possible. Depress the global price of oil and energy. Beat them in the marketplace with our much more efficient production. By letting the price of gas run up, you keep Maduro, Putin, the, uh, the, the mullahs, you keep them in charge. And that used to be actually something that people agreed on, Buck. And then the Green New Deal and the AOCs of the world and the environmentalists totally took control of the Democrat Party. And as a result... We're now having to just give tens of billions of dollars of what would otherwise be United States money to these petrodictator ships. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. 
On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, from this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. He asked if I had finished Dahmer. I got two episodes into the Dahmer show. I just, I can't do it. It's just too depressing and dark. And like, I, I know that evil is real and there are evil people. I just don't. I don't know. I'm not a true crime guy as a general thing. I find, I think true crime unsettles me much more than, you know, even like a horror movie will. Scariest music out there, the Unsolved Mysteries soundtrack, like that still gives me chills from when I was a kid for people who remember the Unsolved Mystery show, like the way that they would terrify you back in the day. I haven't watched Dahmer, but the reason why I was asking if you were watching is... It's like the most popular show in Netflix history now. Second, Everybody number two be behind your... Uh, uh, what's Stranger the, the, Things. Yes, the kids, Stranger Things, um, which is great. I just need to go back and watch that one. But Carrie and I were looking for something non-political last night to sort of take us out of that. Uh, it is subtitled. So for those who are anti-subtitles, but if it's subtitled for a good reason, you know, if it sometimes it really actually work, it does work better when it's something is subtitled. Um, the All Quiet on the Western Front movie, it's based really obviously on the on the novel is really well made about the, the first about it's about Germans in the first world war on the front lines of their western front it is i think it's better than that i know people are getting mad at me better than the 1917 movie that came out it's about the same period in history that's obviously from the uh, from a, the perspective of british soldiers i thought that was kind of ponderous and a little um this is it is very um very very visceral very realistic uh it's kind of what 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 Saving Private Ryan did for the Second World War in that scene that we all do you remember that I still remember being with my oh, mom yeah. in the movie theater. My mom took me to cool movies when I was a when I was a kid. She took me to Braveheart. She took me to Saving Private Ryan, Black Hawk Down. My mom's amazing. Um, but Clay, it's it's a little bit like that. Some of the scenes in the First World War in All Quiet on the Western Front on Netflix. So I will. I think it's in theaters too in some places, but it's also available on Netflix simultaneously. Really good. And I don't know if you're, if, if World War One history is something you particularly enjoy reading about, but it, it's a fascinating period and uh, it's really well done. I must say it was a good movie. What was the good World War One movie that came out a few years ago? 1917. That's what, yeah. 1917. 1917. Now that's all shot as one shot, which was, that's right. which was, it was a cool concept. Um, it did sort of bring you along. It almost felt like documentary style because you were following along these guys the whole time. So I did like uh, like that aspect of it, um, but this man, I'm just gonna say, like, there's you could do this with a lot of things. No matter how bad of a day you may be having, you're not having up to your knees in mud on you know 
three months into your deployment to the front lines in World War One and hoping your gas mask is close enough bad. Like, it's it was rough stuff. What people went through, that's why I always find history to be so um, settling, maybe in a way when we're constantly living in unsettled times. Persp- it gives perspective, for sure. We've been in so much worse positions than whatever we are in right now. And if most people don't have any knowledge of history, but I always say, just as an example, we had an election during the Civil War and during World War II about whether those wars would continue. So for anybody out there who says, oh, we've never had a situation like this where we've had to have an election before, we heard it a lot in 2020, I'm like, actually... We had a war, an election in 1864 and 1944 in the middle of the two biggest wars this country has ever fought and uh, managed to make it through those. So whatever you think about the current tumult that we're in, things have been far worse in this country before. Welcome back in. Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. I hope all of you are having fantastic days. Our producer, Ali, said, you know what we need to do? We need to get... Your mom and Buck's mom on the show to answer questions from the audience. So for the first time ever, Jane Sexton is in studio uh, in New York City with her son, Buck. And my mom, Liz Travis, is in studio here in the Nashville area with me. And first of all, thank you both for being fantastic moms. And uh, we hope that you have a good uh, Mother's Day weekend and my mom is so nervous, Buck, to be on on the radio show. I don't think she's called in before. Are you nervous? Yeah, I am. I'm terrified. <laughs> she, so, is, so can I can I ask your mom, yes. Clay, the first? So, we, so just so everyone knows what we, what we did here, we we asked for emailed questions in, and we also took some voicemail questions in, so we could uh, so we could kind of push you know uh, push the questions back and forth. Uh, to our uh, to our mom. So I'm here in New York City with my mom, Jane. Clay's in Nashville with his mom, Liz. And so can we start with, with Liz, the first question? Yeah, fire away. Um, I keep wanting to call her Mrs. Travis, but she's told me to call her Liz, so I'm going to call her Liz. Um, Liz, this is from, can she hear me? This is from yeah. Callie in North Carolina. She wants to know uh, what was Clay's, and then for me too, but we'll start with Clay's. What was Clay's favorite book growing up? Oh, we can't, Clay. We got to get her over to your mic. We can't actually hear her on that mic. So hold. You know what, Clay? Oh, that's, set, this, bring her by over the way, to your mic. And, and I, have, I should just I should just point out. By the way, there are probably eighteen people who worked to have a second mic to make sure that it worked when my mom came in studio here, and so it's par for the course that it uh, that it would immediately bail. So uh, bring her over. Yes, um, we'll bring her okay, here so, to the so, mic. Okay, Clay, so mom, you can you ask can my mom. Here. You can ask my yeah. mom. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, Jane, what was Buck's favorite book when he was growing up? What do you remember him loving to have read or read himself first? I I think what really changed his whole thinking on reading was The Three Musketeers, and he was about eight or nine when he read that. And then that sort of sparked his love of reading, and then he moved on pretty quickly to like Michael Crichton and Tom Clancy and... He was an avid reader, so reading was has always been a big part of Buck's life. I, I ripped through my mom remembers because I had all these paperbacks that I used to take to our grandparents' house this summer. I mean, I ripped through Jurassic Park, Congo Sphere, Rising Sun, Andromeda Strain, all like just ripped through those books. But Alexandre Dumas, The Three Musketeers, that was the first book that I ever read that wasn't assigned in school that I just absolutely loved. So uh, Liz, can Liz hear me now? And can she? 
Uh oh, now we can't hear. I don't hear Clay at all now. So <laughs> this is our Mother's I'm Day. Back. Here we there go. She brought in a copy. She brought in a copy of the very first oh, book. You know, back in the day, Walden Books. If you grew up in Nashville, was like the only place you, the only bookstore. Right? It wasn't New York City where you had all the Barnes and Nobles and everything else. And so at a very young age, I loved this book called Look Out for Pirates. And she brought the copy of Look Out for Pirates. How many times do you think I read this book, Mom? Well, you read it until you memorized it. You memorized this whole book. It's like 63 pages long. They're like uh, 20 words per page. And so he was six years old. This was really the first book that he just really read. And uh, he memorized it. So, you know, he could just walk around just saying the book. By the way, people love, I'm sure, who are listening right now. When I was in college, Buck, my I went to school on the East Coast. When my mom would call and leave answering machine messages, my roommates would make me save them just so I could push and they could hear this accent, right? So my mom, born and raised uh, in the South, uh, and I'm sure people are listening right now and saying, you know, that is a real Southern accent, uh, much like Julie Talbot, who is our boss at Premier, who is uh, who's also got the same accent. You know what? It's a dying art. This voice. <laughs> there we go. This voice is a dying art. So so I'll, I'll go now. We'll flip the order. So Liz Ross in New York City wanted to know what did Clay want to be growing up? And did you ever think he'd become a radio host? Well, growing up, what did you want to be when you were really little? I mean, I think every every kid who likes sports wants to be a pro athlete. But actually, we were talking earlier about Top Gun. When Top Gun came out, I was like six years old, Buck. I, I wanted to really badly be a fighter pilot, also because of Robotech and Star Blazers, if I remember correctly. So I think when, we, when, you know, when I was super young, the idea was growing up and being a fighter pilot. I mean, we, we can get Carrie's dad to take you up in a plane. I know, he got my Top dream Gun, job. Top Gun retired, but he's the, he's the real deal. Um, all right, Mom, what was, uh, I'll ask, Mom, what did I, what did I want to be? Because this is a weird one. This is true. Uh, when Buck was little, he really wanted to be an animal conservationist. And, That's uh, pretty specific. Yeah. Yep. No, he was kind of an old little dude for <laughs> for a little kid. He was always a, like a wise old soul, even at age seven. And, but that kind of faded away. I realize uh, you don't really like make money or like <laughs> right. that's not really a but I it's was like just, everybody wants to be every girl I knew when she was like twelve or thirteen when you're in school wanted to be a marine biologist. Did that that stage exist in New York City where everybody wanted to be a, a marine lot, biologist? A lot, a lot of women wanted yeah, a lot of young women wanted to be like, you know, taking care of the dolphins. But yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to save the elephants and uh, and the whales. I actually think I I think I don't when I was a kid um one of my grandparents donated in my in my name to like this whale conservancy so I I went through this phase um and I don't know and then like got interested in girls in junior high and all of a sudden I didn't want to be an animal <laughs> conservationist anymore uh, cuz I wanted to be able to like you know earn a living um all right Liz did they ever let me hold on a second um what did they ever get? Did they ever have a completely crazy idea that you had to talk them out of? That's from Izzy in Massachusetts. Liz, you first. A crazy idea you had to talk Clay out of. Oh my gosh, I have Biden brain here. Where's that Easter Bunny? Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, when when they were teenagers, they rode a lot of yards. I don't know if you know what that is. Yeah, we once. Uh... Uh, that was not we would you know it's kind of a prank you'd roll everybody's yard you would toilet paper it whatever you would call 
Um, and uh, I remember my dad would always say, because in the South, uh, since most people are crazy, somebody's going to shoot at you. And somebody shot at us uh, when we were, uh, we were seniors, shot the car twice. Uh, I mean, it's a crazy story. I probably should tell this on the air long form at some point with you, Buck. Uh, but my parents had spent a lot of time saying, hey, maybe stop with the pranks. Like you're, and, and I always kind of say, you're crazy. There's nothing that's going to come from this that's bad. And the car got shot twice. Like we could have gotten killed for, for rolling. TPing? Were you, yes, TPing somebody's yard. Yeah. Well, this is where I'm, my, this is really boring. I mean, I asked my mom to tell you, I just, I never like did. I never got into no, trouble. I don't have an answer for this. <laughs> <She's got nothing. laughs> I never. I never got into trouble. Was, what about his brothers? How would you? So I've got three boys, uh, Jane. Where did Buck rank in terms of difficulty of raising compared to his two brothers and his sister? Like, how would you rank the kids? Um, honestly, Clay, I got off real easy. They were all terrific, and I, people say, "Oh, that can't possibly be true," but. I really didn't have any issues with any of them. Yeah. They were uh, really, they were fun. Angels. I, I, no, they weren't angels and they weren't nerds either. They just were well see, balanced. told you. You know, they really, they, they studied, but they also had lots of friends and played and did all kinds of fun things. And, you know, I was very, very lucky. Really, really, really Mom, Mom was there for the, uh, for the Ivanka prom, uh, junior prom. Oh, she yeah. What did you one, think? So yeah, was, for the, Mom, what did you think? Ivanka of, used to come by the house when, uh, when we were like, uh, eighth, ninth grade or whatever. And so she would hang out with my mom and my dad. You know, she'd and come and sit them. at the kitchen table yep. and she was just, uh, just yep. a regular, regular now, girl. The most popular thing we put on the website, uh, has been your television commercial. Uh, Jane. So for people out there <laughs> who amazing. haven't seen who haven't seen it yet, first of all, I think you can still go track it down at Clay and Buck. And I believe there also are photos of both Buck and I when we were young that our moms have provided. Did you that have you a, can you've go got see. like a sizable cranium now, but like my head is ginormous. Did you have a big head as a <laughs> as a kid or not? Really? I think I think I did. And honestly, uh, I'm looking at some of the photos my mom shared, and uh, you know, because I've got the three boys now. Um, it's fun to see, like, I can almost see, you know, just kind of a shadow of what the boys look like now, looking back at myself at a young age. Uh, but Jane, what about, uh, what about this, uh, this television, uh, commercial? And then also you had an audition for an iconic movie role that you potentially could have gotten. What was that like? Tell people those stories. Well, okay. Well, going back to the commercial, I used to do commercials. Uh, I worked as an actress. I was a trained uh, professional dancer as well. And so this was just another job, but it was a great job. It was a Bubble Yum commercial, and it was with Ralph Macchio before he became, you know, the, the big, karate kid the for big everybody star. out there. This yes. is before that. And uh, it was just for me another – it was a great job. I had to audition like three or four times to get it. And it was a three-day shoot, and it ran a lot on Saturday mornings. So uh, that was great. I was already married with a child at that point, and everybody else in that commercial was prob- – and I was young. I was 21 at that time. And everybody else was maybe 16 or 17. He was a couple of years. So I was definitely the oldest in that uh, – in on that set and uh, – you know, I had a different mindset about it for sure. And in terms of the movie you're talking about, um, that was The Exorcist. And I'm really glad that I wasn't cast in that. That's all. I'm so, how do you say. audition for The Exorcist? Did they make you scream? Did you like what was that? Uh, what was that experience like? Oh, it was really just uh, they gave you sides, which is a uh, script, and you, I just read from it. I was quite young at the time. I was maybe 11. 
And quite frankly, I really didn't understand some of the things that were in the script. And I'm, I'm really glad that I didn't have to deal with that and uh, that that wasn't part of my legacy. So, uh, so, I, so yeah, mom, mom was in that. She was also, I'm just going to say this, she was starred in a Hallmark movie of the week, Summer of My German Soldier, which well, you can I, still, right? Supporting role, supporting oh, I'm sorry. role. So, I'm, well, I, she's always the star to me. I'm Summer sorry, of yeah. My German Soldier. Yeah. So that was a World War II themed uh, Hallmark movie, I'm assuming? A really, it's a really lovely movie. It actually is about um, German POWs that were actually moved to Georgia here in this country and it's a true story so it, it is it's really a worthwhile movie it actually got some awards I also was on a soap opera for a while just after my first child was born I was on the doctors and that was out of NBC and she so- played Moonchild, who had been in a cult it's amazing you learn this the mom, mom was mom had quite range a lot of range I want to ask Liz when we come back clay in a second I gotta ask Liz because you're the sports guy clay we're gonna dig into clay's Initial sports history, what was his first sport, what was his best sport? That's a question from producer Mark, actually, that got into the list here. We'll come to that in a second. We're going to keep Clay and Buck's moms here on the Clay and Buck show to finish us up for Mother's Day, so stick around. Uh, more questions and uh, more of your co- – we actually have some uh, some of your voice messages to play, too. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough. 
that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Maria from Phoenix, Arizona. My question is for both mothers. I would like to know what was your reaction the first time your son got in trouble at school and what, if any, punishment did you give him? Welcome back to the Clay and Buck Show. That was one of our listeners, Maria in Phoenix, asking both moms. I'm going to pose this to Clay's mom, Liz, first. Liz, uh, was, was, was Clay a troublemaker? I don't know if you know this, but your son was banned from one of the biggest cable news networks as an adult later on. So there might be a, might be a little bit of a, a streak where he presses uh, the boundaries and the rules a little bit. When he was a little boy, was he, was he breaking rules? Did he get in trouble at school? No, let me tell you, Clay was always the teacher's pet. <laughs> always. He never got into trouble. He made straight A's. He never got into trouble. Just trouble. a perfect kid, Buck. I mean, I mean, he was. I mean, he was such a good kid. And at home, we never knew he was around because he was always reading, just reading and reading. But when he would watch the UT football game and they would lose, now he would be a door slammer. Wow! Go around slamming all the doors. So that's that's been around <laughs> a lot for a of long cursing. Time, she once she once told me uh, this is the University of Tennessee, which I grew up. Her my mom's dad, my grandfather played for General Nealon. Uh, but she, I remember after one particularly tough loss, uh, you you said, "Hey, you're not going to be." And sorry to sorry to disparage Tennessee football fans here. But you're not going to be the kind of fan who grows up and uh, beats his wife when the when the, your favorite team loses, which uh, honestly sometimes happens in the South. So I'll I'll take uh, Maria's question here to to my mom, and we'll make it short because I think this is going to be boring. I mean, I mean, mom, I was I was president of the school, like I, you know. I think there are a lot of. So was I, by the way, right. a couple of nerds. Yeah, yeah he I was think... president of his senior class. Yeah, see, same thing. I think there are a lot of similarities here between Clay and Buck. Something, yeah, and that's why they so grew up too. to be radio hosts. I think. So. I, I was I was the one who, when my friends would get arrested for fake IDs or underage drinking, would would try to like either. Uh, would try to convince the officer not to arrest them. Like I was the one they called on to be like, "Excuse me, sir, uh, that officer, that's not a marijuana cigarette my friend has." Like I was that sixteen-year-old, you know. So that was my role. Um, but yeah, anyway. Oh, okay, Liz. Sports. What was Clay's first sport? What was his best sport? Well, when you grow up in the South, you have to play uh, baseball. You have to play that, and he played that until he was maybe ten, and then he kind of dropped out. <laughs> And when he went to high school, he played soccer, and he made one goal. <laughs> so that's that, right. I scored a goal from mid midfield. That's probably my sp- all time sports highlight, Buck. I was a I was a fullback, and uh, I caught one literally at the the midfield and uh, popped it over the goalie who had gotten out too far. So that that is my high school sports highlight. Very nice, like the Maldini, if you will. Of uh, there of you Nashville. go. Throw, yes. throw back there to any soccer fans, uh, Mom. Uh, I mean, you you can answer the same question. This is my mom now, Jane. Oh, I'd say that uh, Buck actually was quite good at basketball when he was young, and I think you were like MVP at one of the tournaments. Yes, one of the big city tournaments. Yeah, interschool tournaments. Card, you know. yeah, oh, I wow. did very well. And then he played soccer in high school, and then went on to coach soccer because he had an uh, you know an ability. And uh, he's actually a very good tennis player. 
And uh, another thing about Buck's kind of interesting is that he had an interest when he was young in capoeira, which is uh, an Afro-Brazilian martial art. And that was kind of unusual. I taught myself how to walk on my hands and do kip-ups and do all these things when I was in the eighth grade because I wanted to be good at capoeira. I can't believe my mom even remembers that. But That's yeah. amazing. I've never I went even to some heard classes. I was the youngest kid in the class. People are probably Googling this. What the heck is capoeira? But true story. Yeah, I went By with him because I was worried. I was worried. Yeah, she was worried I was going to break my neck, but exactly. I didn't. I was okay. Quickly for both the moms, the question that is out there, and I can't even see who asked it, uh, who would you like to see us interview that we haven't already? My mom first, and then Jane, you hop in. Uh, I'd like to see you interview May Musk. Uh, Elon Musk's Elon mom. Musk. Uh, oh, yes. That's pretty awesome. Um, I would say um, Thomas Sowell. I'm a, I'm a big fan of his. And Good one. We, we should probably get, get him on. These are good answers yeah, for the moms. Great answers. Liz, yeah. honored to meet you. Thank you so much, Clay's mom and my mom, Jane. Love you. We love our moms. To all the moms out there. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 